1: Hey, everybody, welcome to the RotoWire DFS podcast sponsored by FanDuel. I am your host, Joe P. Zapia. And with me every Monday morning to recap the week that was, the week that's coming up, and a few games on Monday, Thursday is the other Joe to my Joe, Joe Bartell, but no, no lesser Joe. We are equal Joes, I believe, correct?
2: No, no. I think the other Joe is basically what I was called all throughout high school and college. Oh that no! Seems to, this seems to fit just fine. I'm. I can work with that. That's all right. The other Joe is a perfect nickname.
1: You are not the. You are not the other Joe. You are not the lesser of two Joes. Uh, you're <laughs> definitely the lesser of two evils. I can tell you that. Anyone who knows me will definitely <laughs> tell you that. But uh, let's get to week three that was in DFS and is still going for those of you playing Monday. Uh, as well, as some of those loop arounds, but we're going to talk about Monday Thursday slate as we always do, and we're going to uh, make sure that we cr- recap basically some of the big duds and some of the big great moments that some people have. But let's start at the very top, and let's start with quarterback because Rogers was good. He was one of the guys. Cash game, a car was not what we were hoping for. I thought he would be competitive. We thought it would be a shootout. It wasn't quite there. Breeze was the guy that I wanted to go with, and I talked myself out of it. But Brady. Brady, Brady, 35 points on FanDuel scoring. I mean, the guy's 40 years old, Joe. He threw for five touchdowns. Now, I know he I know he got sacked five times too, but 25 for 35 for 378. Right now, even though he's top of the board price-wise, it's almost hard. It's like a cash game pitcher in baseball where like Max Scherzer or Chris Sales on there. It's almost hard right now not to justify Brady every week in cash games.
2: Oh, that's a great analogy. And I didn't even think about that. That just shows how much of the pro you are. See, that's oh, that's why you are the Joe and I'm the other stop, Joe.
1: <laughs> stop, stop. See, you can't see because it's radio. I've got my other hand going, come on, keep going, keep going.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though. that would have been a great contrarian play that I, I think a lot of people weren't on top of. The Texans defense historically has been one of those that really gives Tom Brady a lot of trouble. I had talked about on a Friday radio broadcast that I thought that Derek Carr I would play over Tom Brady, specifically because I thought the Redskins defense wasn't wasn't as on par as what we saw Sunday night, but more importantly because the Texans pass rush is a lot better than I think a lot well not even a lot of people are really onto it. So it's not like it's that you know a discovery at this point. And Tom Brady normally has problems with an athletic pass rush that comes with it, but that was obviously not the case Sunday. Um, Brandon Cooks glad to see that he's back and uh, ready to go. Gronkowski was also a beneficiary of Tom Brady's big game too. So um, you're right. I, I almost wonder if he's Tom Brady's a player that you almost you can't afford not to play. Um, in certain situations because he feels matchup proof at this point. That's,
1: that's really what it is. And, and, and the problem is also the price. You look at the price and you go, Oh, you know, there's a guys $1,000, $2,000 less that I can roll with and get good points. And yeah, you can get a good return out of a Stafford in that range and all that, but it's amazing. The premium and a lot of people will shy away from quarterback not realizing just how important it is and the consistency level specifically in the cash games where I, you know, I think it comes up. I mean, um you know if you had Brady and cash games this week I almost find it impossible that you didn't hit a 50-50 pay line just just by accident <laughs> you know same as right. last week and Kirk Cousins was the other guy that if you went down to the bottom of the board who we talked about at length on this very show on Friday of last week that Cousins is exactly the kind of guy that if you're gonna go all the way down go down to a spot where you know the matchup's good they're at home Oakland was coming off a letdown, a a big game where you knew there was going to be a letdown. They were traveling. There was a lot of perfect storm kind of things heating up. And Cousins, he was even 20% owned in some cash game scenario. So this was a guy who was also very popular. But I think you've got to be really strong of either understanding to pay the premium or really being able to zero in on that one guy because I guarantee you there was a lot of people who kind of crapped out in cash games this weekend trying to play the middle ground. I think the middle ground is the dangerous point for quarterbacks in cash games.
2: That's what it certainly felt like. I mean, I, I rolled with Philip Rivers in a few of my lineups, thinking that they were going to be trailing Kansas City quite a bit, and he's going to have to throw. And that that became an abject failure. So uh, yeah, I I have to say, I have to say I agree with you that the the middle ground, at least at least this week, and it feels like even past weeks, has been has been a tough road
1: to try and find success on. That's for certain. Now, just to give you perspective too, uh, Tom Brady's ownership was under 5% in most of tournaments and things and most cash games because of the price, because what everybody saw with the Texans, whatever they saw there, which with good reason. I mean, we have all seen the past, you know, him struggle there with the pass rush, but it's amazing to see the ownership so low. Yet, if you look at the consistency of Tom Brady and the point totals and what he offers you, that's that's the, the beauty of, of it, and I think we all have to recognize that and going forward, that's something to consider. Who was your most disappointing quarterback of the week? Was it Cam Newton or was it somebody else for you that really stuck out in terms of disappointment, return on investment that you had high hopes for?
2: Well, I mentioned Rivers. He was a guy that I was definitely thinking would do a lot better than uh, 6.48 points on FanDuel, but I, you, the guy I mentioned initially, Cam Newton has to be it. I, I tried to caution everyone that Cam Newton, A, isn't the guy that won the MVP a couple of years ago and B, that the Saints defense can't continue to be as bad as they have been in the past two weeks. But still, I thought Cam Newton was going to be a worthwhile investment in, in FanDuel, at least, and, and that clearly was not the case. I know he had that rushing touch that like kind of, uh, I don't even want to say saved his day, but it made it a little better for fantasy owners. Still, this was a defense that had allowed what a close to, at least 20 FanDuel points or, uh, well, fantasy points, that too, to quarterbacks in the last two weeks. And then we saw... Cam Newton not able to get that mark. Like, come on. That, that's, that, to me, is one of the bigger disappointments overall, not even just quarterback-wise, but overall on the afternoon.
1: Yeah, and also Ben Roethlisberger continues to just suck on the road. Can we all just say that? Can we say that this is not an anomaly? This is a three-year trend, and if you don't buy into it, I don't know what the hell you're looking at. And I was cautiously optimistic that they could do enough to beat Chicago on the road, and I lost. I'm out of a survivor pool because he, ju- he couldn't even beat Chicago. I mean, uh, it's frustration beyond belief. I'll tell you what, somebody that probably nobody had, especially you know, because of the London games was Blake Bortles and his big output, we all saw that. But I will talk about Russell Wilson, who was one of the guys that, you know, previous years, he was always, for me, a guy that <clears throat> was always a good price because he used his legs, because he had the ability to throw for touchdowns as well. It was in that good range where I liked the return on investment value. We had not seen it so far. All of a sudden, it did show up on Sunday. Now, the question is does it carry over and are we buying it heading into week four?
2: Yeah. I don't know if I want to buy it heading into week four just because that offensive line is so bad, but when you're trailing a team that I guess is now an AFC contender in the, in the Tennessee Titans for the majority of the game, you're going to have stats where you're, where you're just having to throw the ball the entire time. And at least there was movement on that offensive front, uh, whether or not be running the ball. Cause I really thought Chris Carson was going to be the guy for them. So it was Russell Wilson. that was the one that was throwing it. I, I don't know if I trust them moving forward just because that offensive line is so bad, but it was nice to see that he can put together positive passing performances, um, even despite the fact that he was down for most of the game. I think that's where most of that yardage came from, truthfully.
1: I'm going to be cautiously optimistic, and I'm going to say at home against the Colts that he can – look, he's not going to duplicate the 373 for four touchdowns because he's not going to need to, but I think – even at 7,900, which is the price coming into week four now, I think it's doable. <clears throat> I think that's a spot where you can justify him, especially because the top of the board this week is coming up is Brady again at 95, which is a huge number. Again, 95, people look at it and go, oh my gosh, you know. But luckily, there's been some relief in some of the running backs sometimes. Yeah. You've been able to make things work there. Uh, I want to talk about one more quarterback, too, before we turn the page on the QBs. Let's talk about the Thursday night game from last week. Let's talk a little bit about Jared Goff. Um, I think so far what we've learned is Jared Goff, unlike last year, seems to at least be able to show up and be pretty good. He made some, he made a couple really good throws there. And I know it sounds like I'm patronizing him, and I kind of am, but <laughs> I feel like he, he made some moments there in that game where you watch and you go, okay, he's all right. And I think, or at least he's all right, and I feel comfortable with him in a favorable matchup. Indianapolis week one was a favorable matchup. San Fran week three was a favorable matchup. Now this week coming up, it looks like to be a favorable matchup as well if you see how bad the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys secondary has been so far. So do you think golf, you know, again, when you go down to the board like we did Cousins last week, might be in that same kind of grouping. If you're going to go down, this is a spot where maybe you feel good about golf and that return on investment.
2: Uh, I think what we've learned through the first three weeks of the NFL season is anything I say, you should be betting against it. Um, no. <laughs> we had talked in this uh, last podcast, this very last podcast on Monday, saying how I was not touching that, Monday, or that Thursday night game with the Rams and 49ers, and there was the highest scoring Thursday night game in NFL history. So, yeah, what, what do I know? I'm just an NFL fantasy football expert and uh, could not predict that whatsoever. Moving forward with Jared Goff, I'm not, I'm not really sold on him quite yet. I know he was able to make the throws that he needed to, um, I, I thought targeting Sammy Watkins was great. I liked that as a Sammy Watkins season long owner um, and a guy that's really just waiting for him to realize his potential. That's good within that offense to see them get more chemistry. And I think as the season progresses, that's going to be a lucrative matchup and target for fantasy purposes. But I don't know if the Cowboys defense is as bad as we have seen them lately. I know that they, they got the benefit of playing what is now really an atrocious giants offense um, to kind of boost their numbers a little bit, but I don't think I'm targeting Jared Goff I'm going lower. I just don't, I don't have trust in him yet. That forty ers game felt all sorts of fluky to me, whether it was Todd Gurley getting so many targets, um, whether it was Carlos Hyde breaking away for a couple touchdowns in that game. I just it felt like all sorts of weird and I don't I don't know if I can consistently count on Jared Goff moving forward.
1: Yeah, I, I I agree. I mean, luckily it's daily, so I think this might be the last matchup you can use him for a while because if you look at the rest of the schedule coming up, it's not pretty. We're talking about Couple games versus Seattle. We got some other big defenses coming up there. Arizona, they're gonna have to play. So it's it's gonna get ugly fast. For this, might be your last time to kind of go down that golf well. Uh, all right, let's start with running back now. And I think we have to all kind of agree if we're gonna have a fantasy MVP daily, otherwise doesn't matter. It has to be Kareem Hunt. Has I had I had all look all my cash game lineups on FanDuel this week started with Aaron Rodgers and Kareem Hunt, and it sounds like things were gonna go my way. But then, unfortunately, I had injuries to Kelvin Benjamin, Michael Crabtree, uh, P. Ron, everybody else who I thought yeah. would be a pretty good scenario to give me some relief for those guys. None of them were able to stay healthy on the field. <laughs> well,
2: so, it's just because you and John did so well last week that Karma had to come back and bite you in the a little bit.
1: but it started off well. Like, I had Roger, I had Hunt, and I'm looking, at am like, oh, Hunt, I have another huge day. This is money in the bank, right? But, again, that's – but here's the good part about DFS is that that's it. I only have to worry about that injury. It's over next week. I don't have to worry about ha- starting those guys again or looking to replace them on the waiver wire. Daily Fantasy allows me to just turn around and just go, oh, okay, that was bad. Now I'll shake it off and go to another week. But look, Kareem Hunt, I mean, holy cow. We are How
2: is that here. guy
1: not 9000 or more in price? This is, it's mind-boggling to me at this point. Well, I, well. Here's the thing. Next week he's going to be close to that. Um, I don't. I haven't actually. Right now I've just got the Sunday pricing up for next week, and because he's in the Monday night game, you're not going to have him in some of those big tournaments. So keep that in mind. Because in week four, he's Monday night game at home against the Redskins. Which, if you're playing the loop around, uh, I'm all for starting a lineup with Kareem Hunt and just figuring it out. Because the one thing going into this year, Joe, that scared me off just a tad of Kareem Hunt and season long was: Will Andy Reid do that thing where? He starts shedding carries away from him and going to a couple running backs, as we've seen him do in the past. If it was all going to be Kareem Hunt, I would have bought in right away. We bought in right away week one. We saw it. Even after the fumble, he didn't shy away from him. In then week two, started off slow, and then he came on like gangbusters. Look, he is the bell cow guy right now. And it's hard to argue that he's not the fantasy MVP, if not the real NFL MVP right now. Uh, he's certainly the
2: fantasy MVP, and I think that's partially because of where a lot of early drafters were able to get him value-wise. I think that plays a part in his success, in your mind at least as a fantasy owner. But DFS purposes, he's he's still he's got to be the MVP. I mean, he's been able to be a fantastic return on investment. And you were talking about your concerns with Hunt heading into the season, and I, I kind of buy what you're saying. My My thought was what happens when Hunt fumbles. And, of course, very first play, he does fumble. I'm like, all right, well, now Hunt's not playing again for three or four games. But we knew the talent was there from the get-go. I had even been talking about uh, when he was drafted that he reminded me a lot of a guy, a former Eagles running back, Andy Reid stand-up, Brian Westbrook, um, with his ability to be able to pass catch. Shiftiness was different. I think Hunt is kind of more about he will just blow by you. Uh, blow through you and, and not have the wiggle movements that Brian Westbrook
1: did. but Yeah, Westbrook better. was a little bit more, um, how I would it, like body type-wise, a little bit more slender. Like Hunt's a little bit bulkier, lower half. Yeah, got a little bit more power, I guess. I think and Westbrook's I, I a little more finesse, good. but you're right, style-wise, very similar. That's that's kind of how most of the
2: running backs are nowadays, as opposed to 10 years ago when Brian Westbrook was at his peak. But if you look at their combine numbers, they're very similar uh, in the 40 dash. Uh, a bunch of other numbers it was like oh wow I didn't I didn't realize how close that comparison actually was but now we're seeing on the field that Hunt can do everything he's both a runner and a pass catcher and I think that's where the utility comes into play when Alex Smith who I know we've been talking about this renaissance where he's throwing a deep but he's going to always be that guy that likes to check it down or make uh, smart throws and I think Hunt is a one of the unique players that can benefit from those types of things and make something out of nothing obviously we saw that long run at the end I don't know about you but I maybe it's I was facing him in a few season long weeks. So I was like, "Just go down." You didn't have to actually score that touchdown against the Chargers, but <laughs> it was a good benefit, I guess, for DFS owners like myself. Who was like, "All right, this is perfect." And I was again, return on investment is fantastic. He is absolutely the fantasy MVP in my. Life.
1: Now, my favorite running back of the rookie class coming into this year was actually Dalvin Cook, and that was another guy who had a great return, possibly even a better return when you justify it. And coming into next week, now week four, he's at home again against the Lions. He's just seventy five hundred, and I say just because that is. Really just a fantastic value for a guy who I think is a lock to touch the ball at least 20 to 25 times in this game. Last week, week three, 97 on the ground and a touchdown, 72 through the air, receiving uh, 25 points, a huge week for him. And a lot of people terrified of what this offense would be with Case Keenum in there. And I think what we're realizing now is, and we'll get to it when we get to the receivers, is that Minnesota's for real. they They are. And I think there's an advantage of being at home. But I think at the same time, when you talk about – Last week, it was a tough sell because I think Keenum got thrown into it last minute, whereas mm-hmm. he gave him a whole week of practice. He looked very comfortable. I mean, we didn't talk about it in the quarterback scenario, but, I mean, can you even get into potentially Case, Ke- uh, Case Keenum? Let's actually pull up the pricing here and see. He's just 6,800. Now, in terms of tournaments, I can't imagine him not being pretty highly owned because when you have those weapons around – you know, they, and then that was a, a pretty darn good defense that came into town with Tampa, and they just basically blew the doors off.
2: Yeah, see, I'm not sure I'm I'm as high on the Buccaneers as you, and really the the general public is. I, I they've been for so long that team that could break out that everyone's anticipating breaks out and then gets a seven and nine, eight and eight year. And I'm just like, yeah. So I, I've been I've been kind of fading the Buccaneers a little bit uh, in a lot of my thought process. With it. I know their offense is talented. I'm waiting to see a lot of the stuff unfold on defense. But that being said. We can't discount what we saw in that Vikings offense. You talked about Devlin Cook. I was right on board with you. I thought that he was one of, if not the best rookie running backs in that class. But that's one that has Leonard Fournette. That we have Kareem Hunt, we just mentioned. Christian McCaffrey, who also had a pretty solid game, too. And then Joe Mixon, who I think is going to be a very good DFS option as the season progresses. And they figure out, oh, yeah, he's actually by far the best talent we have besides A.J. Green in that offense. So, this is a loaded, loaded rookie running back class. And I think Delvin Cook is on top or close to that, uh, leading the pack. It just I, I think he's a threat that the Vikings will consistently have and I need to utilize looking forward because as much as we've seen Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen go off in these first three weeks, I still I'm just I'm never gonna be an Adam Thielen supporter. I don't know what it is. I I don't know what he has to do for me to be like, Yep, that guy is legit, but I just I know Stephon Diggs is there. I'm As a Packer fan, I'm scared playing him every week. But You should be. I think yeah. Diggs has
1: now staked his claim. Look, a couple years ago, uh, th- and this is a true story, a couple years ago, that first big game that Stephon Diggs had, he was min salary and at the time I was hosting FanDuel show on Sirius, and um, I went on on a limb and I said, look, this is the guy you need in all of your lineups this week because I've been reading a lot. I've been watching a lot of the things about him. And I'm telling you right now, there's something brewing here where this kid can really play. He's a little raw still. He's got oodles of talent. Bridgewater is not the greatest quarterback, but he can do something. And that game, he went off. And that was the first big welcome to the world, Stephon Diggs uh, game a couple years ago. And so I I have a very special kinship to him. And I've been fighting for him for the last couple years. And coming into this year, I kept saying, look, Bradford and this whole group here, this is a kid who works really hard. He's got phenomenal hands give him time to really learn, you know, some guys come in and they can just take over with their athleticism, you know, like the Des Bryants yeah. of the world and, you know, so Odell Beckham, those kind of guys. And then, then there's other guys who have outstanding skills, but they're a little football raw. And I felt that was the way about digs and what we saw last week. Um, now, you know, obviously just yesterday, but what we saw this past week in week three with him and with Thielen, I think we got to make sure that we appreciate Thielen and start wiping away this whole thing about, well, he was a guy that nobody saw coming. Sometimes that happens, and sometimes those guys do stick. Not often, but I think Thielen is going to stick. And Diggs, I think we all have to recognize, is a legit, volume, number one wide receiver in the NFL. And it's time to everybody start buying in while he's still cheap. Now, you mentioned Joe Mixon, and that's a great one to bring up here. 18 carries for 62. He's coming in this week. Take a guess what you would price Mixon at this week coming in against the Cleveland Browns.
2: Uh, I'm going to put him at, I'm going to put at 6,400 lower, lower. I'm um, all right. So let's go to 5,800. We'll cut down. lower, lower
1: than 5,800. Okay. So, uh, all right. Well, I have my starting running back for this week. Uh, that's I'm what guarantee. I'm talking about. Josie 5,600 for Mixon against the Browns. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, all right, How is that possible? How can we possibly imagine him this? Now, look, ownership's going to be through the roof because I think everyone's going to think the same thing, and especially in a week where coming into week four, you've got Elliott and Bell, but Bell's been a little slow on the uptake, a little bit better, tough matchup again on the road. He's not at home, but if you continue to look, you've got Fournette against the Jets, probably high ownership. Dalvin Cook is available in that mid-range, and then you go all the way down, and holy cow, I mean, I can't believe the price break we're going to get on Mixon this week and how that's going to affect tournament play and ownership. And just because it's chalk doesn't mean it's wrong. Go back and look at week one and Todd Gurley, right, where he was cheap and everyone said, well, everyone's going to have him. Yeah, he was 30% owned in the Millionaire Maker, and guess what? He made someone a million dollars, so that's not wrong. How about Carlos Hyde? This is a guy too, obviously season long there's always the injury risk, but so far in Daily, he's another guy that's been getting a ton of volume the last two weeks a good return. He's just 68 coming into next week. Have you seen enough for him? And with this longer layoff because of the Thursday night game going against Arizona, do you think that there's enough volume there with Hyde to get him in the conversation going forward?
2: Here's the encouraging thing from it, me. I know they can run the ball. The 49ers being that their offense is good enough to run the ball. Um, I was worried about their passing game heading into the year. We saw Pierre Garçon go off. At, that's that's great, fantastic. But Carlos Hyde has actually been utilized quite a bit as a receiving threat, both out of the backfield and split out a few times. That was one of the biggest takeaways I had had from that Thursday game. And if we continue to see that, and if he can actually make the catches, now he dropped at least one that I saw on Thursday. If he can to make catches like that, that's an encouraging thing for me, especially at 6,800, a guy that's going to be getting at least 20 to 25 touches. That's almost a guaranteed return on investment. It feels like to
1: me. Now the most disappointing running back of the week for me was Jay Ajayi. I know he had the, the knee issue and the issue is real. Obviously the matchup <laughs> was so good against the jets. I want, I mean, I was willing to still throw him out there in some lineups just because it was the Jets that I said, look, maybe 15 carries is all he needs to get a touchdown in 75 yards and that'll be enough. And it wasn't, unfortunately. And I think my big concern with the Ajayi is not having that bye week going forward, that he's never going to be able to rest. He's going to be playing straight through. This was the kind of like Cam Newton. If you can't do it against New Orleans, then you can't do it. And for me, if you can't do it against the Jets, then you can't do it. And there's something really wrong here. And I think... Ajayi might be dead to me for a while in DFS or across the board. Uh, those are strong words, but I don't think I've ever heard you sound more dejected when talking about a player. Before. Oh, sad. <laughs> I, I, that, that, well, first of all, the Jets that was won. really, really depressing just hearing you talk about Ajayi right there. Imagine, you know, and as, as depressed as I am, Joe, imagine the Jet fans who had to walk away from that game with a win. Yeah, they are.
2: <laughs> that's true i didn't even think about that i thought here they'd be happy but yeah you're probably right this oh is, they're miserable this is
1: I, i'm in the new york area believe me i'm and i am not a Jets fan <laughs> nor a giant fan i'm a i'm a i'm a disgusting horrible wonderful uh new england patriots fan for the last 20 plus years of my life so i i date back to the drew bledsoe uh, era with curtis martin I, you know i still got the jerseys hanging up i got the bang coats and everybody but you know so i'm not a bandwagon patriots fan they lost super bowls before they won them. But in the New York area, dude, the Jet fans were not happy.
2: <laughs> well, I'm glad we could at least at least get a smile on your face talking about the Patriots in the good old days. But I back to Jai, I just uh I'm not ready to write him off like you are. I didn't I didn't play him because I was a little worried about that injury. And frankly, I was worried that the Dolphins were just gonna slaughter the Jets so that they were just not gonna utilize one of their best weapons and kind of keep him on the shelf because of what you mentioned, the fact that they don't have a bye. I thought that was even more of a reason for them not to utilize a Jai. And at least that paid off. I did not anticipate at all the Jets doing the opposite and slaughtering the Dolphins. I, that was that was a real head scratcher to me, and that just part of many many things that we can chalk up to. This is a really weird NFL season um, because I, I would never have anticipated them winning by you know whatever with three touchdowns, or whatever the score ended up being. That that's insane to me.
1: All right, we talked about Diggs and the some of the wide receiver big days. Obviously, the other one, Antonio Brown, another guy who continues to be just a lock. I mean, Antonio Brown is just. You know, if I was in any big cash giant, you know, FFC kind of season-long league, as tantalizing as the running backs are, taking Antonio Brown is always the guy. Like, he's just always going to show up there. The guy that nobody expected to show up, and I'm sure was owned at like .001, was T.Y. Hilton because I don't think anybody saw seven for 153 in a touchdown coming from Hilton. That was crazy. Cooks was encouraging, although a lot of it came on one play. He did score two touchdowns. So that's a good one. But I think the big takeaway here was AJ Green. And you mentioned it last week, starting to chirp, starting to say it's time to get me involved. 10 for 111 in a touchdown. Guess what? He got involved and they were competitive.
2: Yeah. I I mean, AJ Green was about as no brainer of a play as it could have been for me being a Packers fan. Um, I have, I have watched, in absolute horror, how <laughs> large, big-bodied receivers that are athletic have been able to decimate my team's secondary, and I—I I, again, I, that to me was about as no-brainer as it could get. So I was—I was frankly anticipating more points from Green. So is it tough for me to say that somebody gets that like, 10 catches and a touchdown and over 100 yards was a disappointment? But I was—I was—I was really well. The over/under was higher. Yeah. So to me, that again, there you go. So then it's not just me. <laughs> but no, I, the really,
1: the over was somewhere at 135. For yards for him, and I would I was taking the under, but it sounds like you were on the overside.
2: <laughs> I would I would have absolutely been on the overside if I were a gambling man. Uh, to me, that was that was a no brainer. I think that AJ Green isn't going to have a better fantasy matchup than what he saw this week. Uh, for quite a while moving forward, I, I, I think that Packers secondary and the Packers defense um, as a whole is pretty already in, injured everywhere. I mean, like that what seven starters, six starters were out heading into the game, and they lost at least two more. Um, throughout the contest I think AJ Green that's gonna that's gonna be a good matchup but he's a talent too like it just kind of like Antonio Brown how if you can afford to pay up for those guys you know the potential there and that's the tantalizing part that it's almost like they're consistently amazing and I don't I don't recall many players that have those kind of skill sets like the Julio Jones Antonio Browns and A.J. greens that's what's so great about those
1: guys. Yeah, one of those guys, Odell Beckham Jr., got back into action. He looks finally healthy. 13 targets on the day, nine receptions, 79 for two touchdowns. So Beckham's probably back, which is is good news, another wide receiver, top-tier guy on the board. Next week he's going into Tampa against the Bucs. Julio, another really good game for Julio, but still zero touchdowns on the year. But I got a good feeling this week against the Bills that streak dies. All right. So Julio, although he's been very good, he has not returned value yet because he hasn't gotten into the end zone once this year. So you could put up all the five for one oh eights that you want. You know, if your price is around nine K you got to get in the end zone and he hasn't gotten in the end zone yet. I'm expecting uh, Matt Ryan and company to get him in the end zone this coming week for sure um and look in terms of some of the other quarter uh wide receivers too we talked about the crabtree injury with the chest baldwin's dealing with the injury which was a bummer because all of a sudden starting to come around there with wilson and then a groin injury for him Watkins is in concussion protocol i mean there was a lot of wide receivers this week who got hurt so there's going to be a lot of news and notes leading up to next week in fantasy before you start setting lineups on thursday friday all right Over two and a half million players have won cash prizes playing on FanDuel. To take advantage of our special offer for new users, sign up today at fanduel.com slash rotowire, and you'll get a free six-month Rotowire subscription, plus a free entry into the NFL Sunday Million, which offers more than $1 in cash prizes. With your first deposit on FanDuel, just visit fanduel.com slash rotowire, void where prohibited. All right, one quick round of the tight ends, and then let's get to Monday, Thursday, and nail that out. Uh, Obviously, the tight end, Rob Gronkowski is still Gronk, Gronk did smash again because that's what Gronk does, but the price (laughs) is tough. I mean, back to back games, you know, basically so far, last two weeks, if you had Brady and Gronk, you were doing all right. But Ertz was the guy, the high ownership was somewhere between 20 and 30 percent, depending on the games you were playing. And a good game, not a great game. He did get in the end zone finally, but the volume was a little bit less than we hoped in terms of yardage, only 55 after back to back 97, 93. But Every week he is double digit points and every week that is a two times investment on Ertz. And I think so far Ertz is still the safest tight end in a wasteland of completely, you know, just being lost in the position.
2: Yeah, I I agree. You're right. Um, Especially with all the injuries that have unfolded, And then of course, Travis Kelsey had a dud too, which was um, unexpected given his two weeks performance prior to that. A tight end that I don't know if you're going to mention, but I'll do it now. Um, Ed Dixon, I thought I'd take a low-risk gamble on him with Greg Olson out, um, with that Saints defense, with that Panther Panthers matchup. That was the guy that I wanted to try and utilize with that, and that that did not work out well. Uh, 1.3 points for me on that on the Ed Dixon play, and maybe I should have known better. Um, he's never been like an elite talent, even when he was with the Ravens too. But I thought that Ed Dixon at times has played all right with Cam Newton under, under center. So, um, if we're looking for who's going to step up with Greg Olson out. We have not found that answer quite yet.
1: No, and I'll tell you, the guy that I was all on was Jack Doyle, having no concept that T.Y. Hilton would all of a sudden be the guy, and Jacoby Brissett would start to look like an NFL quarterback in a game. Uh, But Jack Doyle, complete disappointment. I thought he was a lock to just – and I wasn't asking much. I wasn't asking much, Jack Doyle. All I (laughs) wanted was like, you know, give me 10 points, and you're a two-times value guy, and I'm happy, and you're not going to kill me in cash games. But .6 – Ugh, just awful. But I guess they can't all be Mercedes Lewis, right? I mean, oh everybody- yeah, yeah,
2: because we were all on board with the three touchdown oh, yeah. performance from Mercedes Lewis, who prior had only caught one touchdown in the last two years. So yeah, right. we were, We all assumed we were. That one we were all
1: on. And, of course, nobody could utilize him anyway for the most part because if you're playing the main, he wasn't even available to you because it was the London game. So, I mean, (laughs) it's a complete disaster without a doubt. While we're
2: piling piling on the tight ends here, I just want to give a shout-out to Hunter Henry, who now two out of the three weeks has not even received a target. Um, And then, of course, last week he had like eight catches for 80 yards. Um, Head scratcher with that Chargers game as the beat writer, the roadway or beat writer for the Chargers, I can tell you, that it's as frustrating to own Hunter Henry as anything else right now in fantasy football. And I could not tell you what is going to happen next week because I have no idea what's going no, on. No, that
1: team looks like it's having an identity crisis a little bit right now. Keenan Allen was a, as, you know not giving what you want. Phillip Rivers can't go out there and throw three picks and no touchdown. Like it, the whole thing, I know there's been injuries. They just look all kinds of lost right now. And that's a football team where I think one more loss sends them to an oblivion. I mean, they are in a bad spot right now. Uh, Especially especially in that division. division. (laughs) Hey, there you go. (laughs) See, great Joes think alike. (laughs) All right, let's get to Monday, Thursday before we get out of here. You got the Packers hosting the Bears, and you got Dallas obviously tonight going into Arizona. Dallas getting their butt whipped last week. I expect them to come out here strong in this one. Prescott's a fine value at 82. Obviously, all the cash game lineups are going to have Rodgers at home against the Bears. That's fair. But let's talk about the other way. If you're going to go in the GPP range, forget Mike Glennon, he can't do it. Carson Palmer. Or Prescott, I understand you know Dallas's D is bad, but Palmer has not looked good either. However, the stats are still showing up in the box scores. You know he's still going for two fifty plus every game. I think I favor Dak, but I can understand the argument for Palmer. I'm going to go Dak and take a little bit of a safer route. Which would you go in tournament play if you were picking one of those other two QBs? All
2: right, I think I'm going to go Palmer just because you had talked about a little bit earlier. I'm not sure. Quite yet what that dallas defense is is this a pass rushing one that um relies on getting the quarterback to to help the secondary out or is the secondary a little bit better than the pass rushing i, I don't i don't know yet i, I kind of want to see um this will be a monday night game i'm really interested in watching uh having been a few that eh, you know i, I kind of would sleep through it otherwise but I, I think carson palmer's the guy i'm going to go with only because i think the, the cardinals are going to be down and they're going to have to be thrown again so he's kind of like the old man version of blake bortles Uh, of old I guess the Blake Bortles of old compared to what we saw London Bortles Um, I think Palmer is going to be able to put together throwing stats as they try to come back I think even with John Brown potentially out I'm not too worried about that I think JJ Nelson Larry Fitzgerald are going to be the main guys to go to and even we'll see a lot of Ellington too I think as they're trying to come back so I think I'm going with Carson Palmer and using the $500 elsewhere that I have to save
1: Jordan Howard at 67 is my favorite running back. As you well know, Joe, the Packers not doing well against the run so far this year. So 6,700, I think he is a lock return on value. I don't mind Montgomery either. I don't think you have to pay up to the 9K for Elliott. I think it's going to be tricky. Uh, And I'll tell you what, too. I told you last week, Ty Montgomery was the guy you wanted. Coming into week three, he was the guy that was a trap He was a trap this past week, only nine points, but I'm back on the Montgomery wagon, if nothing else for game script too, where I think Howard is just such an important cog in that offense. You have to start him. And Montgomery is a guy where, you know, I think that the Packers, I'm thinking they're still going to have a good enough lead here at home that they can sit on it and a little bit more time Montgomery as time goes on. Let's talk about the wide receivers in this one too. Jordy Nelson, obviously top of the board. You got Dez going against Arizona, but look, it's another tough cornerback matchup for Dez. He's going to have one. Tonight against Peterson, uh, it's tough. It's really hard because if you are truly elite, you're supposed to ball out in these games. And so far, he hasn't.
2: Yeah, he's had a tough stretch. I mean, this is the third straight game where he's going to be facing um, one of the elite cornerbacks in the league, in my mind. The first
1: Uh, six games of the year are like that for him.
2: Yeah, I just don't – I think that we're going to have a good return on investment with Des Bryant later on in the season. But, you know, the Cowboys also, at least for Daily Fantasy – don't benefit from the fact that they are such a well-liked team because they have so many late televised games, whether it be Sunday night um, or Monday night games. And it's annoying to watch them uh, as a Packer fan. I just don't, I don't care to watch a lot of the Cowboy games. But that also affects us when we're trying to figure out, all right, where do we want to put these elite tier guys like Des Bryant? And I'm, I'm thinking I'm staying away from him at least uh, for this Monday Thursday It's like I don't, I don't see a situation where he's going to do well with Patrick Peterson on board on him.
1: No, I love the target volume, but again, if he's struggled in his career against elite opposition, and that's the difference to me of a very good receiver and an elite one. And I just still don't put Dez in that elite category, even though he has some elite-type games against lesser opponents. All right, last one before we get out of here. Geronimo Allison, one-week wonder, or if Cobb is out again, somebody to consider maybe at least in tournament play.
2: You know, um, I think he absolutely is a guy to consider if, if Cobb's out. Now, um, Cobb was talking on local radio this week, and it was kind of like a, a concession that he will be out multiple weeks. Is, just based on the tone of the voice and the way he was saying these things and, and how he was taking his time with the, this injury, that I could very well foresee a situation where he is out multiple weeks. And if that's the case, 4700 is by far the best value on this entire slate for Toronto, Toronto, Miles, Allison. He will not. Do what he did again like uh, against the Bengals. I I don't anticipate another six-catch, 120-plus-yard performance. I don't anticipate running out and getting him um, in season-long leagues. That's not a huge buy now for me. But at the same time, at 47 for this price, you can do a lot of things um, with your lineup, getting a lot of those high-tier quarterbacks, receivers in there with a guy like Geronimo, because you know you're going to be getting production from him. Four catches, 50-plus yards. I think that's easily within reach for him, especially if Cobb is out of the game.
1: All right, you can follow him on Twitter at JBFantasySports. You can follow me at JoePizzaPia17. For everybody here at Rotowire,
3: have a great night of Daily Fantasy. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.